rejected, alone, isolated, lonely, separated, cut off. All of us have felt this. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're being open, if this is a place where as a community of believers we can be vulnerable about the truth of what it means to be human, we all intimately are aware of what it means to be rejected, to be alone, to be isolated, to be lonely, separated, cut off. I know I've experienced this kind of thing many times. I'm sure you have too. It's, you know, we can come to things like this and, and experience the body of Christ and the wider world and maybe even go to work, experience the same thing, go to family functions, experience the same thing, go off to the coffee shop and see people you know and, and at times be with this wider community of people and realize the connectedness. But there are a lot of those times where that's not the case and where isolation, loneliness, separation is the feeling. I know a lot of us struggle with some of these feelings. I know I do uh, quite often. Uh, have for a big part of my life. There have been times where I have felt like uh, I'm on the outside of the party looking in. All those people are the ones that are smiling and laughing and telling jokes. Uh, you know, heard one about the boring preacher? No, I haven't. That's the answer to that. Um, on the outside looking in and, and, and the, the party's happening there, like in there, but you're out here. Like, it always seems like these other people have the money, the time, the joy, the kids, the name it. Just, just keep going right down the list of whatever it is that you look at, at these people around you where it feels like they're in on the party. <laughs> and I'm just sort of standing outside going, hello. The truth is that, uh, that one of the central ways, one of the key ways to describe the human condition is that it's a search for connection. It's a longing for belonging. It's a search for the kind of awareness that you exist, that I exist, that we are together in this, that I know you, that you know me, that I love you, that you love me, that we are together in this, that connection that is, uh, frankly, in our increasingly transitory, uh, busy, uh, sort of frenetic-paced world, frankly, is hard to come by. I first realized this for me in a, in a kind of a tangible way. I think it was kind of always there before this, but I first realized this as a tangible thing when I was about a senior in high school. I'm pretty sure it was the fall of my senior year. And listen, I know, I know it's easy to, to sit there sometimes and go, go, you're the one standing up there talking to us. You're like, you're like the, the minister, the pastor. People know you. Yeah, I'm famous at First Christian Church of Greenville. So it's easy to sit here and go, rejection, Loneliness, isolation. Yeah, right, Scott. Come on. I mean, I, I get, I get that perhaps. Um, and, and 
probably in high school, my senior year, there would have been people who knew me who would have said, seriously, Wakefield, I mean, <laughs> you were voted this, voted that, you got A's, you were you know, captain of the teams that you were on, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of them was best legs, by the way, just putting that out there. Um, so people looking at that saying, yeah, whatever, Wakefield, like, like you know loneliness and rejection and isolation. Okay, sure. Um, I think for me, one of the first times I tangibly sensed that longing for that search for connection that, uh, that I had struggled with was my senior year in high school. And some of you heard me t- tell this story briefly uh, a time or two. I call it my uh, neighborhood Kroger incident. Uh, not, a, not a big incident, just a you know, short little thing happened like in 30 seconds. A uh, small little incident, but had a significant impact on me personally. and still does. I mean, I'm telling you about it now 25, 30, almost 30 years later. There I was uh, behind a man, probably 60-ish years or so, just two of us in line. And he was standing there with probably fruits and veggies, and I think I probably had you know, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Three Musketeers and uh, Oreos in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So um, this man before me is chatting with this cash register. I think it was a woman. Th- this, this, this woman at the cash register was checking them out, just chatting back and forth like they knew each other. And, and as they started talking, I think they'd known each other for a long time. Now, this is in Cincinnati outside of Cincinnati in a suburb there, and it was my senior year of high school. And I uh, was a ministry kid. We moved a lot as a kid. Uh, We had been to eight-plus schools and uh, houses by the time I was in high school, that kind of stuff. And so I had this sense of disconnectedness, this sense of uh, wanting a place, longing for a community that, that I belonged to. And so here's this guy chatting with this woman at the cash register. So, like, how are the kids? How's your garden doing? Those kinds of, you know, like normal, regular old things. And I just went away thinking, that's so nice. Isn't that nice? What a nice picture of community that is. I remember walking out of Kroger uh, <laughs> thinking at the time, you know, that's so nice. What a wonderful, pleasant picture of community and connectedness. And then I, as I kept walking toward my car to, <clears throat> to leave with my uh, peanut butter cups, three musketeers, and Oreos, I, I, that, that feeling of, oh, isn't that pleasant and nice turned into, I want somebody to ask about my garden. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a garden. I probably would kill a garden. But, but the feeling was, I want somebody to ask me how I'm doing because they know me because we've lived together for a long time. And they know where I come from. They know my house. They, they know my life situation because we're together in community. And, and at that moment, you know, I went to the car and sort of fought off tears. And then, of course, I, you know, dealt with the tears by eating chocolate. So um, the feeling I had, though, at that moment was a, a, a tangible, for the first time for me, really, a tangible sense of disconnectedness. Disconnectedness. And, friends, that disconnectedness is not not just some sort of thing in me that happened to be me because of my context. That is, that is every single one of us, not just because of a, a cultural context, a community context, a background, a place we come from, our life's experience, moving around a lot, not knowing lots of people, not, not those kinds of practical things, but because at a most 
fundamental, at a most basic level, we are disconnected because we love sin more than we love God. And so this disconnectedness that even we feel horizontally isn't just about you like me or don't like me and I like you or I don't like this. That's not just it. That's not it. that, That is symptomatic. That's the outward stuff that we see. That's part of what we experience. But the real problem, and this is what we're going to get to here in Ephesians, the real problem is that we are outside of Christ. To be disconnected is to be outside of Christ. And friends, I'm going to say some things during the series, not so much today, but we're going to work into this pretty soon here, where I'm going to say some pretty heady stuff about, listen, this body of believers called the local church is the God-given context within which you become connected to Christ as the head of the body, of which we are members. So much great truth we're going to talk about in this series, but we're just going to talk today, just kind of work into it by saying what we have. What we have is being a part of the body of believers. Our connectedness is a connectedness that though it is one with another kind of connection, that connection is fundamentally, most basically, at all levels, it is about our connection with Christ. Because that's a connection that knows grace and mercy and unconditional love. And that's the connection that helps us become who God made us to be. And that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen out there. It, it, the disconnection that, that many, many, many people, thousands upon thousands of people in our own community, in our own, in our own congregation, in theory, we have probably hundreds of these people who pretend they're a part of us, they think they're a part of us, they may even feel they're a part of us, but they are so disconnected that their growth isn't happening as God wants it because they're not connected. So what we have and what we've experienced is that feeling of being out, of being rejected, alone, isolated, separated, cut off. And friends, that's exactly the experience That was exactly the experience of the first believers. That was exactly the experience that Paul's referring to here when he talks about in Ephesians 2, we're going to read this in just a second, the dividing wall of hostility. We're talking about in in their worship space, in the temple, there's this division, this literal dividing wall. Jews can come in, the Gentiles cannot. And so we have all experienced this Gentile outside of the party kind of experience. I want to read you a little quote that I uh, came across here by uh, William Barclay. It describes kind of this divide that goes on, and then we'll read the passage together. This gives you kind of a feel for what's going on here. He says this, The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. This isn't, this isn't just like you're, you're not getting to be with us in worship. This is you don't get to know Jesus and I don't like you for it. This is what he's talking about. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother. Gentile just means non-Jew. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. For that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. That's pretty harsh. Until Christ came, 
The Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Contact with a Gentile like that was the equivalent of death. What Jesus came to bring for us was revolutionary. And he went to every length possible to ensure that that kind of access was available to all who would name him as Lord. So let's look at the access. Let's check out this privilege. Jump in at Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. We'll read through this real quick, and then we'll jump back to Ephesians 1, say a few things, and hopefully soon get back to Ephesians 2. This is Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to believers. He says, Therefore, Remember, those two words there are huge. We'll come back to that in just a second here. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Great phrase there, in one body. We're going to make a point of that. Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing, not, not like just like saying it's obscured. He kills it says, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access. Key phrase there, we both have access. In one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We basically made two two points there so far. We're going to talk about access. We're going to talk about privilege. Access is all the way from 11 through 18. Privilege, just verse 19. And we're probably not going to make a huge point on the next couple of verses, but let's go ahead and read them here. Verses 20 and following, talking about this building concept. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. At the beginning there, Ephesians 2.11, it says, Therefore, remember. Two words, therefore, remember. Remember, we say a lot of times when we come across the word therefore, we have to ask what's there for. Well, it's there for the purpose of remembering. And what we're going to remember, we look at here in Ephesians 1, verses 1 and following. Check out. Ephesians 1, starting there at verses 1 and, uh, and following there. We're going to make a fine point on 1 and 2 and just make some general comments about the rest there from 3 through 14. He says, Paul, this is the typical way for him to start his letters. He says, this is me. I'm writing it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's saying he's an apostle by God's calling on his life. He's, he's saying, even already at the outset, he's saying, what I have in Christ, what he's given to me, I didn't earn myself. He's saying that in the very first 
few words there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, a messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus, this is to the believers there, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice that it says of Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus. This is a parallel, and he's saying, I didn't do this myself. I'm not good enough to claim this. I don't have this faith because of me. I have it because he gave it to me. It's a gift of grace. We'll see that later on. And that, that word faithful there in verse 1. Paul could have said another way if he was trying to make a point about the faithfulness of the people. He's trying to make a point about the faithfulness of Christ that calls them to this new access they have. So so we're going to talk about access. We're going to talk about privilege uh, today in Ephesians 11 through 19. And and he makes that point about this access and privilege right there in verse 1. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by his will, not my own. And then he says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They're faithful in Christ Jesus because Christ was faithful to them, just like he's an apostle of Christ Jesus because Christ called him. So that's the parallel that sort of starts that, that, uh, that whole momentum of this comes from God. Uh, part of how we know that also, by the way, there are a lot of cool things like this. But another cool thing here is it says grace to you and peace from God. He could have said a particular Hellenistic, a Greek way of saying grace and peace. But he, he, he twists on the word grace a little bit and says something that, that means a little more like God's grace to you. Because the Hellenists, the, the Greek would have just said, hey, good to see you. Have a great day. Hope luck is with you. That kind of way of saying it. But, but Paul plays off that and, and makes a little more of a point about God giving that grace and peace to us. Now notice in verses 3 through uh, 14, he carries on this theme of what we have in Christ as being important for the whole, uh, the whole book of Ephesians. But also, he's making this point that we're getting to, which is access and privilege come because he's given it to us, he's earned it for us, he's, he's granted us that grace and that goodness that we have. He says, blessed, this is verses 3 and following, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He starts off by saying blessing three times. He's making a point about the blessing that, that God, who is blessed, who is eternal, who has all riches, who is the King, capital T, capital K, that he is blessed and he gives his blessing to us. He's blessed us, how? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, and now we're going to look at this phrase, in Christ, in him, through Jesus, in the beloved. He says this, I believe it's 11 times in these next verses from 3 through 14. You may want to note this as we're going along here, because the point he's making is, you don't earn this, you're not good enough, you couldn't possibly be here because of your own goodness. It's because God gave it to you, it's a gift, that's why it's called grace. He says he's blessed us, here's the first time, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, he chose us in Christ, in him, not just when we we come down and we say, I give my my, my life to Jesus, but it says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. That's the third time we get this in Christ idea. Uh, that word, by the way, in and through uh, or from, that's all this concept. Uh, there's a, there's a, a way that the Greek uh, scholars talk about it. It's, it's an instrumental. It's, it comes through Christ. 
So we've got three places there already. So it's us being adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has, there's that blessed thing again, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's another time that beloved is capitalized in some version because it refers to Jesus. So we've got four of those in Christ so far. Actually, we have six if you want us to go all the way up to verse 1. So in the beloved, verses 7 and following, in him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, in his wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. That's like the third or fourth time he said that it's his will and his purpose, which he set forth, here it is again, in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained, and this is a great little word here that happens three times in verses 11 and 14 and 18, this word inheritance. It describes the privilege that we're going to talk about here later on. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There are 13 times in the first 14 verses of Ephesians. Paul's hammering this idea home. Your salvation is not your own because of, because of anything you have done to earn it. It is all of grace. It is all the gift of God. We're going to skip a little bit of stuff here and jump in to make that point. In uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and following there, famous verse uh, you should consider memorizing there in verse 8. He's made all that point and said, it's in Christ, it's in him, it's in the beloved, it's by him. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The faith of Christ and the faith of us. And this is not your own doing. That's how we know this faith is not just us. It's also him. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It doesn't say it is, it is the giftedness that you happen to have and can manufacture and have been demonstrating as good enough to earn. Just get that heresy, please, 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 out of your selfish hearts and heads. Because it will, it, will, it will create in you the tool to pervert others against the gospel. I promise. I promise. If this isn't of grace, if this isn't gift, then we, we end up thinking our ability to stand here as a result of our own sin is something we did? Heresy. And it's a way for us to pervert people. It's a way for us to pervert people for our own devices. Believe me, pause. I get that we have responsibility. I get that we make free choices. Different issue. Let's move on. Ephesians 2, 11 and following. 
So when he says therefore, that therefore is there for us remembering what we were, where we came from, how we got here. And in fact, in fact he says at the beginning of chapter 2, we didn't make a fine point on this, but we could have for a long time. We were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins, verses 2, 1 and following. He doesn't say, you were partially alive and able to do a whole lot to gain this. That's not what he says. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sin. So he picks up at Ephesians 2.11 and says, remember that you were dead. That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were, you were outside, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. Remember, he picks up this remember again, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time, and he names five things. Five things that demonstrate what it's like to be dead in trespasses and sins. He says, you were, number one, separated from Christ. Number two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Alienated from that citizenship that he talks about later. Number three, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Number four, you were hopeless. And number five, you were godless. You had no hope and you were without God in a world. Five ways that Paul says this deadness that characterized your life, you've got, you've got believer. You've got Christian. You've got person who knows what it's like to have righteousness in Christ. You've got to remember what it was like to be dead. Lest we, lest we go through our Christian life with this absurd idea that our standing is our standing. Because he's going to play off that and he's going to say, you have to remember that you were dead. You have to remember that you are dead and that you have access. And that access was a privilege given to you by Jesus. Because he's going to go on to make the point that the reason we're here, the reason we're sitting in these seats, the reason we are connected in the first place, the reason we have unity next week is for the purpose of growth the third week so that in our words and that in our, in our uh, prayer and in our service, that's those the weeks four, five, and six, so that those things that come out of our connectedness are for the purpose of others having access. Please, please, please always remember, what you have is so that you can give it away. Blessed to be a blessing, he says it to Abraham early on. He says it early and he says it often. So remember what it was like to be separated, alienated, a stranger, to have no hope, and to be with God. Part of remembering that is to know the blessing and the, the wonder that we have in grace. Verses 13 and following. But now, but now, in your ability, nope, 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 sorry, start over. Verse 13. But now, because your last name is Wakefield, nope, sorry. But now, because you are at church this morning, nope. You can say, but now, comma, whatever, and it's not going to fit unless it's but now in Christ Jesus. I mean, has he made a fine enough point about it in the first chapter? For goodness sakes. Paul's aware, Paul's aware that we forget and that we have to remember. That's why he's writing it for us here. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, meaning separated, alienated, strangers, no hope, without God. That's a picture of lostness. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, who were lost, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, like in his body, for he himself is our peace. 
who has made us both one, meaning Gentiles and Jews, has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. He's broken the power of the law by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, one new Adam in place of the two. Paul talks about that in Romans 5. So making peace, and this is, this is super cool in verses 16 and following, so that he might reconcile us, this is the opposite of being lost, reconcile us both. Notice, by the way, it says us both, not just like you as an individual. This is an important point, huge point. We're talking about connectedness in this entire series because we are connected to one another and Christ. He has made us both reconciled to God. He doesn't just say you singular. He could have. He doesn't because he's talking about the connectedness that we have in the body, that he might reconcile us both. This isn't that sort of pathetic American individualism that is this Jesus and me only. All I need is Jesus and me, and I'm good. I'm good. I don't need you. I don't need to be a worship. I don't need to participate in the body and in fellowship in any way that's going to create something for me that I don't like. That's really what people are avoiding. Let's just be frank about this for just a second. What people are avoiding in their participation in the body, given it's a healthy place, given it's a healthy place, is a catalyst for one's spiritual growth. It's a laboratory for one's spiritual growth called the body of believers. And to avoid it is not to have some newfound theological thought that simply since Constantine has been happening, if you're carrying on with any of that silliness that's going on today. He doesn't say, reconcile just you. He says, reconcile us both. So the reconciliation happens in the context of a community. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that for me, I wouldn't stand here if it weren't for person after person after person after person who was a witness for the faith to me. This wouldn't happen for me. The preaching of the gospel assumes in the first place, person one, Communicating with person two. By definition, you heard the gospel from a person. Maybe you read it on the page. Maybe you were the great exception who, who came to faith because of you know just being on an island and having the word by itself. But <laughs> doubtful. Reconciled us both. This Jesus and me only silliness is ridiculous. This is a communal faith. Might reconcile us both to God. Now here, this is a big phrase. In one body. Paul's making the point that I've just talked about. In one body. Not just the body of Christ. He's already talked about that. Not just the body of Christ. But he's reconciled us both to God in one body. Not just Christ, but also the church is what he's talking about. The connectedness that is there. Whether you want to give yourself to it or not, it's there for the taking, he says. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So when Jesus goes to the cross and in his own flesh makes up for all of the sins, for all creation, for all people, for all time, making available to humanity access to God, When he did that, it's a picture of what goes on here. It's a picture. That's why we're called the body of Christ. That's why this picture that we're talking about for this series has a bunch of gears to be a part of it. 
were connected in a way that God can use and work through. So he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, there's that in Christ idea for the 10,000th time, we both have access. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we have access and we have privilege. That access comes with privileges, with rights, with an inheritance. It comes with something that is not just this, you know, you don't just become a card-carrying believer. You don't just, you know, have a card and it says believer and that's it. You, that comes with actual uh, privileges. The privileges are the full inheritance of being a son or daughter of Jesus being a citizen in this new kingdom, he says. Look at verse 19. So then, because of Jesus doing all that and giving us access, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's picking up on those five things he talked about earlier. He talked about being strangers and aliens. He says, you're no longer that, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This access has given us the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ that God can use as we realize our connectedness for his purposes. And this access and this privilege makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. I'm going to close with a little story of this access and this privilege. It was during the Civil War, and uh, there was a young Union soldier uh, who had lost his father and his older brother in the war. And this soldier uh, wanted to get uh, special dispensation, special uh, okay from, uh, from the higher-ups to go back home and to help mom because he was all uh, she had left. So he went to Washington to see if he could get some exemption for military service and uh, tried to go all the way up to the top and looked to have access to the White House and asked to see the president, uh, but he was turned away. So he was disheartened and uh, went to a park bench uh, just, just off the way, not too far away from the, the White House, sat on a park bench nearby and uh, was just dejected. Uh, because he couldn't get in and uh, wouldn't be able to go home and help his mom. So this little boy (laughs) walks up, sits next to him on the park bench and says, "Uh, you look sad, what's wrong? And this uh, soldier uh, shared the story, and uh, the little boy (laughs) took his hand and uh, took him over to the White House right past the guards, uh, right into the back door of the White House, uh, walked in, President Lincoln sitting right there, and the little boy says, Hey, Daddy, this man wants to talk to you. This man needs some help. Friends, that's access. What we have in Christ is infinitely more amazing and wonderful than that. Friends, we are privileged with that kind of access so that this can be a community that leads people through the door 
to know Jesus. That's why he calls it gift of grace. That's why it comes from Christ. That's why it's something he he gifts to us because of the work of Christ. Friends, our connectedness, our connectedness is never about only our access. Paul will go on time and again to talk in Ephesians about how what we have is the ability to be this, this little boy walking into the president, taking friends, taking the lost, taking those who are separated, aliens, to the access and the privilege that we take so easily for granted. We have the ability to take friends by the hand. To know eternity with God. That's what this connectedness is all about. Let's pray, friends.